if you pre-order something before it's released and you don't know when it's going to be released, you just gave up control of your cash. Welcome to BizBuild Podcast, presented to you by the good folks here at Diamondback Tool Company. I'm the host of the show, Damani, head of sales and media for Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow me at Diamondback underscore Damani, that's D-A-M-A-N-I on Instagram. I'm here, as I will be on every episode, with Connor Crook, CEO of Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow him on Instagram at diamondback.toolbelts. The purpose of BizBuild is to provide listeners an inside track on what it takes to build a business. It is our hope that you can learn from our successes and pitfalls and siphon knowledge from our various expertise so that you can get an edge in the business of building something great. Welcome to the BizBuild Podcast. The place where you go to find out more about the business of building something great. I'm the Chief Style Officer, Damani. You can find me at Diamondback underscore Damani. That's D-A-M-A-N-I on Instagram. And I am here with El Presidente El Jefe, C. Connor Crook, the Chief of Diamondback. You know, some days you wake up and the sun is shining down on you and birds are chirping out your window, a song that you want to hear your wife or your girlfriend or your significant other smiles when you walk into the kitchen, your children are all dressed and behaved and ready to go to school and you walk out of your front door and you just by the grace of all goodness don't step in the dog poop that's in the yard. You get in the car, turn on the radio and your favorite song is on and those are the good days. And then there's other days you wake up and you left your window cracked the night before and rain and it rained unsuspectedly and your whole rug got wet. Your significant other's pissed off at you. Your kids don't want to get ready for school. And this time when you stepped out the front door and down the stairs, you didn't miss that pile of dog poop in the yard by a millimeter. You stepped right into it. And as a result, you had to go back and change your shoes and you're late for work. What separates us is how we deal with the good days and the bad days. And today at Diamondback is a tough day. <laughs> today there was some dog poop in the yard that we stepped in. Today the sun wasn't shining and there was rain on the carpet. But even on those tough days, we have to persevere. And we're here to give you a great podcast about a way that you can persevere or at least anticipate the troubles that you may see or the successes that you may have by the use of numbers in your business. I came up with a great, I found a great quote about numbers by Amy Kaufman, who is a uh, New York Times bestselling children's book writer. And she says, numbers do not feel, do not bleed or weep or hope. They, they do not know bravery or sacrifice, love or allegiance. At the very apex of callousness, you will find only ones and zeros. I had to read that a couple of times. Numbers are impersonal, but because they are impersonal, they provide us a very, very unbiased and objective viewpoint about things. Jay-Z said, men lie, women lie, numbers don't. And so the very crux of the very core of your business, you have to understand what the numbers say. And I'm here with Connor right now. 
And we've done a lot of research and reading and looking into what the numbers say about business. There's a couple of different kinds of numbers that you can look at. There's proactive and reactive numbers. Reactive numbers are things like, I don't know, your yearly sales and your monthly sales and your things of that sort. But then there's proactive numbers. And we want to know what the key numbers in your business are that you need to monitor in order to ensure the success and growth of your business. You want to talk about a little bit about some of those key numbers, Connor? Well, in managing a business, you've, you've got to, well, let's take a step back. When you're in a business, when you are, as we say, working in the business versus working on the business, there's a certain set of numbers that you need to be able to follow. And those have to do with the numbers in, in your trade or your occupation, whatever your business is. And you're looking at, you're going to obviously be looking at numbers like revenue. Um, it's going to be one of the things you're going to have to get to from revenue is figuring out what your actual net is, which is one of the reasons you, you really need to have financial assistance. And net versus growth, just real quick for people who might not know the difference when you're talking about revenue and numbers. Sure. So when we're talking about revenue, we're talking about the total number, total amount of money that's coming into your business. Uh, the net is, is what you've got after you've paid all of your costs and expenses. And that number is not sometimes as easy uh, to figure as it might sound. It depends on the complexity of your business. It depends on the number of different things, that, how accurate you want that number to be. Uh, do you really want to go to the point of figuring out what the mileage and use of your automobile is um, and, and include that in your cost of business? So figuring out your actual net overall for the business can be a challenge. And then when you start to break it down to the net profitability on an individual job or an individual task, it becomes even more complicated. Uh, and again, that's that's why we won't need to bring in financial advisors, financial <clears throat> personnel, bookkeepers, and accountants who can help us find those types of numbers. But those are the types of numbers that any business is going to be looking at. But where we want to go here is figuring out for a particular business what what numbers do we need to find when we move from working in the business to working on the business. And what we mean by that is working in the business means, you know, you're pouring concrete, you're sewing tool belts, you're you're doing whatever it is that is actively part of the business versus when you move to working on the business is when the majority of your time is not spent doing the things that your business does, but it's more about selling your business. Mm -hmm. You move from selling a product or a service to selling the business. And that doesn't mean, you know, selling the business like, you know, you're going to walk away and, and sell it to someone else. What you're doing is you're selling the concept of what your business does to outside customers um, or to uh, other folks. And so at that point in time, when you're really working on the business, you're not as involved with the day-to-day -day tasks. And so you need to know what numbers need to float up to you so that you keep your eye on the ball. 
Is that kind of like the difference between Beyonce the singer versus Beyonce the like pop icon? I guess to some extent, you know, Beyonce the singer. She's got amazing talent as a singer and dancer, uh, but there's a whole nother persona that is managing the idea of Beyonce. Beyonce right, yeah. Um, you know, for the easiest thing to boil down to at Diamondback is, okay, so when I bought this company, I was working in a small 400-square-foot office, and actually 200 square feet was dedicated to Diamondback. Orders came in. I packed the orders, and I took them down to the, the post office every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I, I don't touch orders. I don't see orders that come in. I don't pack them. Yeah, leave that to me. <laughs> and, and so now, when I was working in the business more, I knew exactly or, you know, relatively what was selling, which pouches were selling better, which products were selling better, which colors were selling better. Um, it was never red or blue. Um, now I have to rely on someone else to give me that information mm-hmm. because I'm doing other things. And so we have to figure out, A, what are the important numbers that we need to know for different purposes sometimes, and then who is going to be in charge of those numbers and and how are and what are the systems going to be in place so that we as managers can get the accurate information that we need to do management um, or uh, so that we can coordinate between different departments. For instance, here at Diamondback, one of the things, it's important to know what we're selling. Yeah, sure. But that's different than knowing what we need to manufacture. Very much so. You know, one of the key things we've had to go through with a number of consultants who are trying to understand our business is when we work with our manufacturers, we buy Eagle pouches. Mm-hmm. We buy miter pouches. Yeah. We do not buy artisan systems. No, we do not. And actually... Oh, the, here goes the McDonald's metaphor. <laughs> and actually, the components come from different manufacturers. Okay, yeah. So if we sell an artisan... Mm-hmm. And I look at my sales data and say, great, we sold 10 artisans yesterday. That doesn't mean that I need to make 10 artisans because I don't make artisans. You make eagles and miters and hammer holsters and four-inch belts and all those pieces make up your Happy Meal. There goes the McDonald's metaphor, by the way. Right. So it's a different set of data that I need that comes in on the sales side Versus the data that I need to provide to the operations side for, okay, next month, this is what all we need to make. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes companies will look at that sort of end number, like how many artisans am I selling, right? And say, okay, this should be the determining number. But you're saying that there's a different way of looking at the numbers. Right. So why do I care how many artisans I sold? Well, I need to know how many artisans I sold versus Raptors versus Denali's versus Maestro's. So that when I'm talking to a potential dealer, mm-hmm. I can tell them, hey, this is what you need to stock. Right. This is the relative sales of, of these four, five systems. So it's different data. So we need to get that raw data of what we're selling. And then we process it differently for different audiences, whether or not it's my manufacturer <coughs> of, hey, this is what I need you to make, whether it's my dealer of this is what you need to have in stock, mm-hmm. um, or if it's for us internally, this is what we need to have in stock so that we can assemble the different systems here to then ship out. So knowing all of that raw data and then figuring out how to process it for different audiences. 
You're tuned in to the Biz Build Podcast. I'm Damani. And I'm Connor Crook. Um, so I brought up sort of the idea of proactive versus reactive numbers, and it seemed to me like the end number, meaning how much of a certain pr- particular product you're selling, is more of a, as a reactive number. So you're saying, okay, um, at the end of this month, we sold X amount of Denali's, X amount of artisans, blah, blah, blah. So we should probably have that many next month. Um but really, that number that we are selling at the end of every month isn't the determining factor for how much we will sell in the next month. Well, you raised two issues there. The first issue is forecasting of sales of a particular product. Okay. Um, and, I like to conflate things. I don't mix them all up. Yeah. Um, and so forecasting, you know, you... It's really a little bit of guesswork. Uh, you can look at general trends. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things, some of the things we look at, um, seasonality. Um, there are certain seasonal fluctuations based on what people are purchasing at different times of the year. We know that people are going to be more likely to buy suspenders in the wintertime because some people think they're hot, so they don't wear them in the summertime. Some mm-hmm. people only realize that they want suspenders after they put on a set of Carhartts and realize that their hips disappeared. Right. Um, so we can. So there's a little seasonality there. On the other hand, we know that in the summertime, your old lady wants you to take her to the beach for the week, and so you're thinking maybe that's where I need to be spending my money rather than on a new tool belt. Um, your old lady's wrong, by the way. <clears throat> versus, you know, fourth quarter sales, when we get into the holiday season, things are going to pick up. So we look at seasonality as we're trying to understand forecasting. We also have to look at general trends. You know, in, in the building industry, um, there are a lot of different uh, things that people look at. You know, how many uh, home starts have there been? How many building permits have been pulled in a given time? And trying to predict the supply chain within the building industry. For us, it's seasonality combined with just overall growth trend you know do we do we think we have some new dealers kind of on the hook that we expect to get dealer orders from soon mm-hmm. how have we what's been our pace of growth over time so so then you have to forecast and think okay what's my demand going to be two or three months down the road then you have to couple that with thinking okay what's my demand going to be then how long is it going to be? How long is it going to take to get this product? So, if I know that I'm going to need more of these in April, do I need to start increasing my orders today, or do I need, or can I wait until March to order that product? Mm-hmm. You obviously don't want to order the product too early because then, if you even if you're on terms, you still got to pay 30 days from whenever you ordered it or received it, however your terms work. So you don't want to tie up that money until you have to, but you're still trying to forecast. Mm-hmm. Especially if that new dealer doesn't come on until down the road, and they're on thirty-day terms, so you're not going right. to get that money until way down the road. So now you're you've tied up a bunch of your cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that goes to a simple thing. People are always asking us if we take pre-orders on new products. No, we don't. Never make a pre-order on anything because if you make if you pre-order something before it's released and you don't know when it's going to be released, you just gave up control of your cash that's giving it to a to a supplier who is going to do whatever who's basically balancing their budget with your cash instead of it being in your bank and then 
when all of a sudden your truck breaks down and you're thinking, man, I wish I had the cash to pay to get my truck fixed. Oh yeah, I sent my cash to some other company and they, I don't even know when I'm going to get the product. So that's why we don't do pre-orders, by the way. That happens actually a lot in the music industry. So when people, um, they pre-sale tickets instead of out, out at the door. But a lot of people don't realize is what the promoter is doing is they're doing the pre-sale so they can get an influx of money in so they can pay the retainer cost for the artist. So they're hoping to get this initial five dollars $7,000 so they can send that to the artist to retain the artist so that the artist actually shows up for the show. If the artist, by chance, two months down the road, does not show up, they're sick, whatever, they're pregnant, I don't care, whatever, they just decide they don't want to do shows anymore, They, the promoter more than likely is not going to get that money back. And therefore, you're not going to get your ticket money back. Case in point, anyone who's ever tried to see Lauren Hill perform. So... That, I mean, that's the same situation. The money's lost and you still don't get the end product as a result. Right. So with any, with any small business, cash flow is going to be king. You've got to keep, you've got to think about your cash flow, keep control of your cash as long as you can and try to extend the terms on either side of the negotiation to your benefit. You want your suppliers to have to pay you quickly. You want to drag out the payments to your suppliers. Mm-hmm. And I don't say drag out as in, you know, infringe upon the agreements that you've made, but you know, you want to set the terms of those relationships so that you get paid quickly and that you don't have to pay the others pay out until as long as you can. But to go back to the point about when I said you were combining a couple of things, you know, the other thing is um, your turnover. So you know, one of the things that we try to do here is we have certain products that sell rapidly. And as it happens, most of our higher selling, um, higher uh, moving products also happen to be our most expensive products to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes the calculation a little easier. It gets kind of crazy when you have high turnover, uh, low cost vol- products. But when we have our high turnover products are generally our most expensive uh, to, for us to make. And then we have lower turnover on some of our lesser products, you know, Take a good for instance, Snap-on handles. They that's a pretty low cost product for us. It's a low uh, price product as well, and we don't sell a whole lot of them. Mm-hmm. So for a product like so, you can sort of split the world into A, B, and C as to really fast movers um, on one end, really slow movers on the other, and in, in sort of a middle ground. So for Snap-on handles for us, the best thing we can do so that we're not tying up our manufacturing capacity for those uh, on a regular basis is. You know, they don't cost that much. Let's just make a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And we'll put them in the back of the storage room, and as we need them, we can pull them out. Yeah, because your overhead for that is... Exactly. We're not, not tie- as bad. We're not tying up a whole lot of overhead, and mm-hmm. at the same time, we are able to make them in a large enough amount um, so that our manufacturer gives us a good price on it. Because you know, you never want to make things ones and twos because there's always a transfer. You know, think about if you're working in a in a, in a cabinet shop, you want to crank that same cabinet door over and over and over again because every time you have to get a different jig to do a slight variation on that door or just adjust the, the table saw a little bit, mm-hmm. you, that takes time. And when you adjust it back, you might not get it back just like you wanted it. Mm-hmm. So it's best when you're cutting a run of products, just cut them all at once. Mm-hmm. Same process applies here. 
let's make a large supply of snap-on handles, put them in the back of the warehouse, and you know we'll we'll eat off of that for six months. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, our suspenders—that's a pretty high-cost product for us. There's a lot of high-value product, high-value components in that product, um, and so what we want to do there is just keep those coming. Yeah. You know, we don't ever want to stock a tremendous amount of those. It ties up too much cash. So that's a high value, high turnover product, and we are making those in a, in a constant flow. And then, you know, there's other products where we try to figure out how are we going to balance the number of items, number of units that we hold in stock versus how fast we can get them versus um, what the how much money we're tying up in them. Mm. So those are all c- critical parts to keeping the cash flow um machine going and and it's that seems extremely complicated it seems like there's a whole lot of things that we have to keep our eye on in order to keep this sort of delicate balance of what's coming in and what's going out and how much is in the bank and how much we owe all leveled out that's it almost makes my head sort of spin just thinking about it well it does make my head spin which is why we've hired people to help do that and and, you know it's the, the advice here is, and, and we'll actually have um, one of the consultants who's helping with that on the show in a couple of weeks, is you know, we want to introduce these uh, consultants to our audience. Um, you know, if you're running a business and you're you know, a business like a cabinet shop or, or any other sort of construction business and you're thinking, okay, I, I keep hitting these snags where I can't get my raw materials fast enough or I feel like I... I you know, I look around in my warehouse or my garage or wherever I keep my materials and I start counting and it's like, oh my, I've got more money in this garage and raw materials than I do cash in the bank. Mm-hmm. And when you find yourself in that situation so that you're not able to pay your bills because you've got too many whatever widgets that you need in your business, and that's when you need to start talking to professionals who can help you uh work that system out so that you realize what order you need to be bringing things in. Tune into the next episode of the BizBuild podcast for part two of this conversation. You won't want to miss it. You've just been listening to the BizBuild podcast. I'm your host, Damani. Follow me on Instagram at diamondback underscore Damani. That's D-A-M-A-N-I. Or follow Connor on Instagram at diamondback.toolbelts. You can also find more about Diamondback by visiting our YouTube page or Facebook page. Hope you enjoyed what you heard here today, and we look forward to you joining us again on our next episodes. Take care. Don't forget to like and subscribe.